Good morning. Welcome home, family. I'm so glad to see everyone here worshiping with us this morning. Those who braved the rain that I, want, I for one, am thankful for. Uh, even though when I left my house, it seemed to be a traditional downpour. And I was like, uh, but... And I want to take a nap right now, if I'm honest, because that's what rain does to me. But uh, if you're like me, I'll, I'll try to keep everyone awake as we continue our journey through the, the book of Exodus. And so if you've been with us for a while, you've, you've experienced this book of Exodus. But if you haven't, uh, we are going to be on chapter 33 of the book of Exodus. So you can get your Bibles ready if you want to do that. And that's where we're going to be picking up the story of how Moses is leading the people uh, out of Egypt and into the promised land. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can sit under your word and learn from you. When we can know who you are, that we can see how you've worked throughout history, that we can see your character made known through these accounts and these stories. The truth of who you are and how that impacts us today and how we see you're still as you were then. And we can trust that, and we can have confidence in that. Lord, we just pray for this time that we can be built up as your people. Lord, I pray for every, the hardships that they might be experiencing, the, the, the problems that might be, that they, they can lean on you and find comfort and security in you. Lord, I just pray for this church that you continue to work in the various ministries that we have and that we can continue to be on mission for you. And I pray for this time as we continue to worship you through listening to your word and knowing you through your word, that you can enlighten our minds, bring the truth into our hearts, motivate us to live for you in all that we do. And Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most amazing things about our God is that he reveals himself to us. God is transcendent, meaning he's other, he's distinct from his creation. And so without him revealing himself to us, we could not know him. He's totally other. He's not like us. But what's amazing about our amazing, wonderful God is that he lowers himself to make himself known. That the, all of humanity actually knows and can know who God is. First and foremost, that we see written on creation itself, his divine fingerprints, if you will. And anyone, any human can look at the stars or look at the world or look at themselves and know that lies again and again. We read that in, in Psalm 19, verse 1, when it talks about how the heavens declare the glories of God, of the Lord. But this is what we read in Romans 1, verse 20, where how it speaks about how... Um, for what can be known about God is plain to them, talking about humanity, because God has shown it to them. For his individual, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived for since the creation of the world, that people can know there is a God. But what's even more wonderful about our God is that he's not content just to let people know he exists, that he actually wants to have a relationship with them. And so he comes down and he speaks to his people. He comes down and makes himself known through the word of, that he gives people, that we actually can know him, and it all leads to actually ultimately knowing him through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's all because he is there and he's not silent. He's speaking to us so that we can know 
who he is. And when we come to Exodus 33, I believe we see this pattern, this characteristic of God making himself known to his people, coming to his people, being played out again in the, in the lives of the, the Israelite people. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Exodus 33, and we'll be this picks up with this fact that God comes to his people. And it starts like this. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Prezalites, and the Hivites, and the Jebulites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord has said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside a tent far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses till he'd gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would ascend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his own tent door. Moses turned again into the camp. His assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you would send with me. Let you have, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you are also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may, now, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, that, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you will stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand to not be seen. So what are we going to take from this, this chapter of Exodus and 33, how the story continues? And I will just hold out this thing. The Lord comes to his people. It's a principle I see in this chapter, but it's a principle we've seen throughout the whole book, and it's what we've seen throughout the whole Bible, is that the Lord comes to his people, that he actually lowers himself, condescends himself, so that he's known and people can have a relationship with him. 
It's just been such since the very beginning. Just think about the biblical story, how the Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, how he spoke with Noah and gave him the mission to build the ark, how he called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how he sent dreams and visions and spoke and sent his prophets. He lowers himself and speaks to his people so that they can know who he is. And that all leads to the final and ultimate knowing of who God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we read Exodus 33, we get this glimpse, this truth that God comes to his people, that he actually speaks through Moses, but he speaks to his people and they know him and he will not abandon his people because we need God with us. That's how this chapter kind of starts as this dilemma has taken place. Remember what up on Mount Sinai when he was receiving the commands for the tabernacle, how God was going to be with his people. The people were creating a golden calf and going astray. And they were having a party doing it. And Moses comes down and he sees this. He throws down the, t- the tablets with the Ten Commandments. He grinds up that golden calf. He makes them drink it. That's a crazy scene. But he's showing people how far they've gone astray. That while he was receiving the commands of how God was going to be with them, they were running away. And now the story picks up after Moses intercede for his people and God kind of relents. He's not going to consume his people. The story picks up and God says, okay, take your people Head to the promised land. I'm still going to give it to you. I'm going to send an angel with you, but I'm no longer going to be with you. And that's the dilemma. That the people of God who have this great promise that God's going to be with them, how the only reason they're where they are is because God was with them, now are going to not be with God. The only reason they were escaped Egypt in slavery was because God showed up and sent Moses and led them out by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. The only reason Pharaoh let them go was because God used his mighty powers to just demonstrate he was God. Let the Red Sea. The only reason they lasted in the wilderness and could live is because God provided manna in the morning and quell that night and water from rocks. They know they need God, which is so ironic the fact that they chose not to follow God while Moses was up on the mountain. But they know now as they're faced with the reality that they, they're commanded to go into the promised land without God, that was not right. They need God. They need God. And the same is true with us. Humanity needs God. That's how we're wired. It's how we're made, that God created each and every one of us. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He formed your innermost being for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to know him. Now, we get tons of other benefits in this great life that he's given us, but he made us to know him. We need God, and so often we can be like the Israelites who kind of just lose focus for a bit. We wander off after something shiny, but we need God. And he comes down to us. The great thing and wonderful thing is that humanity somehow is con- He's speaking to us. He's making us our, himself known to us. 
And so we just need to recognize who he is and know him. Because the Lord comes to his people. I think that's what we see in Exodus 33. But before we dive into how he makes himself known, there's a seemingly contradiction in this passage. I don't know if you caught it. Maybe you didn't. But when I read it, it's like, whoa, how do you reconcile these two verses? Because on surface level, it seems like there's a contradiction. And when there's a contradiction or a seemingly contradiction in the Bible, it should make us go, wait, let's study a little more. Let's see what's going on. But if you read, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 11, it speaks about how uh, when all the people saw the pair of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, that's 10, but it says this, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. It's this great image of God speaking to Moses face to face. But then verse 20 says, and this is, God says to Moses, but he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. On the surface level, if you're reading that, go, whoa, 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 what? He spoke to Moses face to face, but at the same time, these verses, because we believe the authority of the Bible. We believe this is God's words. We actually, I would say, we believe this is infallible. There's not untruths in here. These tell us only truth. And so how would we reconcile those differences? And so here's this little study on how we interpret Scripture. We do what's called a Scripture interprets Scripture, or the analogy of Scripture, that clearer Scripture always points and gives understanding to less clear Scripture. And we, we interpret Scripture through this process of actually reading it in context and seeing what's going on in there. And so there's, there's, there's things called figures of speech, meaning they're, they're showing us, they're pointing to truth, but they're not literal. And so when you read how Moses met with God face to face, as, with a, as a man meets with a friend, we can see that's a figure of speech. It's actually pointing to how God, Moses had this intimate relationship and had this access to God that was fundamentally different than the other people, that God actually chose Moses. So somehow Moses was God's guy, and he spoke with him. We know it's a figure of speech because this, it uses a simile, as a man speaks with a friend. It's already using figures of speech. And so when we read this in the clearer statement, you can't see my face, God says, we can see, okay, that clearly cannot mean that Moses is meeting with God and somehow seeing for, to see God. So he hasn't seen God in all of his glory yet. And so this is pointing to the fact that Moses, as a prophet from God, has this access to God and pointing to this fact that uh, we need to know who God is and the Lord comes to his people. So there you go, a little lesson on how to interpret Scripture. Now we're going back in to Exodus 33 and seeing how the Lord meets with his people. Because that's what the story is, right? The people are facing this dilemma. God is not going to be with us. And then Moses intercedes on their behalf. And God says, I will be with you. I will walk with you and lead you into the promised land. That he intercedes, that Moses intercedes and God says, I am going to be with my people. 
But let's just look how the Lord comes to his people in Exodus 33. And when we think of the story of Exodus, there's, there's differences on how God meets with his people then versus now. I'm going to first hit then, and then we're going to talk about now. And we're going to actually see how sometimes when we look at the stories of the Old Testament, we're like, man, they're so great. They're wonderful, and they truly are. But we can almost can long for that. We almost can long for that story to be how we meet with God. But I'm just going to preface this and actually just blow out the whole line of where I was going to go, saying that what we have is much better than what Israel had in Exodus 3 with his people. First and foremost, there seemed to be a distance between the people and God. We, we have this distance uh, made how the, that Moses had to actually, actually go to a certain tent, and he had to pitch this tent, and it was outside the camp. And actually, the language seems to indicate that it was kind of like really outside the camp, that because of Israel, the Israel's sin, God could not be in amongst his people, and so it was this distance and separation. And then when you think about the future, when the tabernacle is built, and God dwells among his people, and the people are organized all around the tabernacle, even then there's a distance and separation. They, they, they could not intimately connect with God. He, he had this distance between with, with the, the tent, and, the, and, and space, and protocol for meeting with God. And so while God comes to his people, there's this separation or distance. Not only that, but there's actually few were given access to God like Moses. That has seemed a select few were chosen by God to meet with him as a friend so that he received it. So Moses, and apparently Joshua's right there, his, 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 his sidekick, meeting with God in this place. But it's not like every Israelite was heading to the tent and God was descending and meeting with them. There's few were given access, and God chose few to carry on his word. Not only that, but it's a certain place where God, tabernacle, and you pitch it, and that's where God would decide to meet with people, with Moses. It's limited to a certain place at certain times. Not only that, but they only could get a glimpse of God. Even when Moses asks to see God's glory, God says, you cannot handle it. That when Moses asks to see his glory, what he's asking is actually to get this, the weightiness. Glory means this like weightiness of the divine being that Moses wanted to see it, which is so funny because what was Mo, like, just think of Moses' experiences and his, and how he had already seen so much of God's glory. This was the guy that saw the burning bush and the Lord speaking from this bush that was burning and not consumed. This was the guy, guy who walked up on the holy mountain and this Lord's presence descended. This was the guy who, who saw the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. He knew God. He spoke with God and yet he still was saying, show me your glory. I want more. I want, and he's almost a, a prideful statement. I kind of want to see all of who you are. And God's response is, you can't handle it. That if you saw my glory, you, finite Moses, would crush under the weight of it. Your mind would break. Your body would disintegrate. I don't know what would have happened, but you would have says, you will see my goodness. I love that. Because I think that speaks to almost every human. We want to know God, but if we want to be honest, we want to know God in a way where we can kind of get our arms around him and understand who he is and how he's working. 
And we look at life and what we go through, and we want to know God in a way where somehow we can put him in a container and say, like, that's God, I understand him now, I can follow him, okay, I get it. And God says, you can't. I'm too glorious for that. And actually, in fact, you don't need to see all my glory, but I'll show you my goodness. And how true that is, is that we are, God reveals his goodness to his people And in a real true way, that's all we need to see. That all of our groping for his glory, yeah, we should know he's glorious and we we get that. It overwhelms us. But what overwhelms me again and again is his goodness, that this glorious God, this majestic creator, chooses to show his goodness to us. That he lowers himself to show us that he loves us. That we catch this glimpse of his goodness, which uh, Stephen Charnock of Puritan described it as the brightness and lovingness, see that. And that's all we truly need to know of our glorious God, is that he is good. So the Lord comes to his people. And in Exodus 33, we see, though, it's, there's a separationness. There was too a few. It was a certain place. The only guy, a little glimpse of who God is. But when we think of how the Lord comes to us, his people, the reality is that it's different than that. Because we have to remember, we as Christians live not in the time of Exodus, but we live on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of Pentecost. When the church was formed, we live on the other side. And so we know how God comes to his people in that when we think about then, how there was a separation, we glory and rejoice in the fact that there is not that separation anymore because Jesus came. And when he came, what was the promise? We kind of read at the beginning of service these verses in Isaiah but we remember how he announces it, how, the, how his presence is announced in the gospel that is God actually coming to dwell with his people. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus came down. When Jesus came down, God came down. And he's with us in a way that's more personal than a tent. He's with us in a way that's closer than leading us in a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. He is with us. This is what Matthew 1, 20, 1 20, verse 21 through 23 says. She will bear a son and she'll call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So we know how there was separation then. No, now Jesus comes and he's with us. Knowing that, he's not just with a few. Before, God would speak through his prophets and and the prophets would speak to the people on God's behalf. Now, with the final prophet, the final priest of of God, Jesus, coming down with us, he brings all believers into his family, into his friendship, and he speaks now to us just like God spoke to Moses as a man speaks with a friend. This is why when, John, uh, when Jesus is talking to his disciples towards the end of his ministry in John 15, what does he say? He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not, have, does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends for all you have heard my father that I have made known to you. 
not only the disciples, but all believe in himself to us and to them. That when we look upon Exodus 33, we say, man, I wish I could be like Moses, where I would meet with God face to face as a man meets with his friend. And the reality is that if you know Jesus, you have that. You actually, you have something better than that. You have an intimate connection with the Savior who has saved you, who has brought you out from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, who now can reveal himself to you again and again through the Spirit and through the Word, and we can know him in a way that's intimate and connections far better than a tent in the wilderness. And it's not limited, just like the tent was limited as a time and place that Moses had to go. It's not limited, but it's everywhere. Because <laughs> we have been fundamentally changed to be God's people, and he's with us all the time. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is, is speaking, actually praying for these, these Christians, and he says this, that according to the riches of the glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that it's not limited. If we have Christ in our hearts, if we actually have Christ in us, if we are unified with Christ, walking in this own life, he's with us. It's all the time. Again and again, we see this. Why, what is the great promise at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 28? Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That he is with us. That actually we have the Holy Spirit that allows Jesus to dwell in us. And, and Paul speaks of us in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. Pointing to how God used to meet with people and descend upon the temple and before that to tabernacle and make his presence known. But he says, no, now you believers, you are now God's temple. And he now dwells in you. How much more fortunate and privileged we are than the people of Israel because we walk with such closeness with our amazing God. He's always with us. It's not limited. It's to all of us. He's with us intimately. It changes how we live because he is with us all the time. And we take him wherever we go. One of our, actually, our founding fathers, John Withrop, says this, I was familiar with the Lord Jesus Christ. I went abroad and he went with me. When I returned, he came home with me. I talked with him upon the way. He lay down with me, and usually I did wake up with him. It was so sweet, so, and so was sweet was his love to me, as I desired nothing but him in heaven or earth. Speaking about what every Christian should know and experience, God with us. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, with us. Through the Holy Spirit, we know him. We know this truth. But fundamentally, when Moses asked to see God's glory, and God says, you can't handle it, we know the glory of God. Because Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father. When, because Jesus says, 
that he is the reflection of the Father. That we know that when we have Jesus, when we know who Jesus is, when we read about our Savior and we see how he has saved us, we see how he walked, we see how he saved people, we see how he went to the cross for our sins and how he rose from the dead. When we see this truth of who Jesus is, actually we see the glory of God. We see this again and again when, when, uh, in John 14, when, when he's speaking to his disciples, he says that to Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Father, who can say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? He's saying, when you see me, Jesus is saying, when you see me, you see God. And we see this played out in the development of the church. When we, when we see the church form in the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 7, we see the first Christian martyr, Stephen, as he's proclaiming the good news. This man who served tables was proclaiming the good news, and he was martyred for it. The Jews gathered stones, and they were stoning them. And as he's laying dying, in verse 25, he says he actually looked up. He was full of the Spirit. He looked up. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus was standing next to him. That he sees the glory of God because he believes in Jesus. Because he knows who it is. And then when we go further, we see, Paul, we see Saul at that time, who becomes, becomes Paul, and he's persecuting the church. And he receives letters. He's going to head to Damascus. He's going to lock up all those Christians because they're perverting who God is. And on the way, it says a light, the glory of God, shone down, knocked him on his butt, and he says, who are you? And he says, I you are persecuting me. He says, I'm the Lord Jesus. He actually sees the glory of God through seeing who Jesus is, and he was forever changed and became a mercenary. A mercenary? No, a missionary. <laughs> I mean, you could describe him as a mercenary for God, but he didn't get paid for who God is, for the glory of the gospel. I'm totally off track now. But we see that truth. We are so fortunate we're not hidden in a cleft of rock, hidden by God's hand. He reveals who he is to us through Christ. And it goes on. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God who said, let light shine our darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And again and again, they the, the apostles, the writers of the New Testament pointed to Christ and said, that is the glory of God. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1.3 says, he, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power that when we look to Christ, we see the glory of God and we can know the glory of God. That the Lord comes to his people. He did before, but oh my goodness, did he come in Jesus and we know him. And now we who live now and believe in Jesus and know Jesus and have the Holy Spirit because we believe in Jesus are so much more privileged than the people of Israel because we have what they were craving. The Lord comes to his people. So what do we do with this fact that the Lord comes to us? Well, first of all, I would say, what amazing privilege just think about the great privilege and honor that we have as Christians that we can know God, that we can gaze upon Jesus and see the glory of God. So rejoice. Praise God because we can see him and know him through Christ. 
That we can pick up this book and we can read it. And these words on a page that contain the accounts of Jesus' life can be used by the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and open up our eyes so we can see the glory of God. How privileged we are. You were made for that purpose. So dig in and praise God because of it. Rejoice because he has made himself known. But then run to him. Run to our magnificent God because he comes to us first. Means if you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe he's your Lord and Savior, you know this to be true because you caught a glimpse of the glory of God through him and it changed you. Fundamentally, you were changed as you saw who God was. And so always know, always believe, have confidence that he is there. He'll never abandon you. He'll never leave you. He has great privilege and he's waiting for you to dig in and know him more and more day by day. Know that and have confidence and let that give you comfort in this life. That no matter what you're going through, no matter how you're, what you're experiencing, he is there with you walking through the fires, walking through the trials. He is there with you. He'll never leave you. If you're not a believer, if you don't know who Jesus is or you don't know God through Jesus Christ, just hear this. The Lord came down for his people, to his people. Never think you have to somehow get your life in order to find God. Never think that you somehow have to clean yourself up before God will receive you. Never think that somehow you have to look upon the mystery, that you see a mystery of this world and somehow solve it to find God. No, he's there, he's waiting, he has declared himself, he has made himself known. You can know him. And if you want to know him, look to Jesus. Look to him, the author and perfecter of faith. Fix your eyes on him. Dive into the word and see him. Talk to someone who has already met him. Glory of God and forever be changed. Because the Lord comes to his people. Join me in prayer. Darren, Father, thank you so much for your word. That we can read it, we can see the truth of it, that we can be moved by it. Lord, I just pray that we can be your people, a people fundamentally changed as they have seen your glory, a a people who are going to reflect your glory to those around us. Lord, I just pray that we can always rejoice, always praise, always be excited about the fact that you have made yourself known, that you come down to your people. Lord, we love you. I just ask that you continue to build us up as your people. Let us cling tightly. Those who are troubled or confused or feeling adrift in this world, I pray that they can hold tight to you. Look once again in the face of Jesus. And those who don't have that foundation, I pray they look, they know, and they believe. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adam. <clears throat> I love that.